So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, I have a humongous surprise today. I am thrilled to bring back my friend Alistair from Australia, Nova Stream's own... Alistair, as I bring you back in, we've got tons to catch up on. We talk, we do talk online quite a bit, but haven't been on, the, been on each other's podcasts. If you can believe it, it's been almost 11 months since we lasted a podcast. So welcome back, my friends. Wow. Well, thanks for having me back. And 11 months? Seriously? Wow. Yeah. And one of the That's only reasons true. I bring that up is because the last one was like a day or two after my birthday in early October. And mm. that month was by far the biggest Bizzlecast month ever. But then oh, after, couple, after that month, because I had a lot more work to do, I started doing yeah. podcasts and focusing on other things. It, it, the, the podcast has kind of dropped off because you need to be putting out constant content, as you know, to keep a podcast going. And so while I do have a, a good number of followers online and people I talk to, um, and you know, I am trying to put out once a week if possible, it, it's been very tough. Um, yeah. so, but, but welcome back. And I was just sort of leading towards where Nova Stream is at, especially especially in sort of the podcast sphere, because that's how we connected initially. And then we'll sort of organically talk about some of the stuff you're working on as, as the podcast, uh, as this podcast goes on. Awesome. I really liked your DC podcast as well. As much as I was angry with you for not having seen Aquaman and Shazam <laughs> shaking my fists going, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but that guest was amazing. He was really, really knowledgeable. He is the first uh, guest who's a fan of the Bizzlecast who I invited on because he's so positively and smartly active. And we ended up talking on Messenger and, and for, I've tried to get him on for a couple months, actually. Um, and so that was a really cool experience. Uh, he's, he's very knowledgeable. And it, it turns out that he works in like television and stuff. So he, you know, he, he's also connected to the entertainment business, which was cool. Cool. So, yeah. So we are going to talk... Mar- uh, Netflix guys, we're going to start with video games, and then we've got some Netflix topics, including <laughs> The Witcher, woo, um, and Dark Crystal, which I haven't seen. We're not going to spoil anything from Dark Crystal. We'll just mention about it because Alistair loved it and devoured it, and I can't wait to see it. And then we're going to talk about something I didn't see coming, which is Alistair's, um, let's just say, changing feelings about DC Comics on screen, uh, especially on the big screen in particular. We will talk Disney Plus and just what I'm calling the Marvel bomb and the Disney bomb um, (laughs) that followed each other. uh, And just even though I've been calling this, but also following this for a long time, it's even my predictions could never have thought this much content this soon. Um, And so it will be really interesting. Um, Alistair, uh, you did listen to the DC podcast with Jason. We did talk about about the DC um, streaming service. I, I would be interested more about that when we get into the streaming services, yeah. um, if that's cool, because 
I've heard great things about a lot of those shows, and yeah. the voice casts for the animated shows are like spectacular through the roof. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even the composers they have, like Brian Tyler, who you know as a Zimmer guy who did the Modern Warfare soundtracks, he does the Black Flag soundtrack, which is like my favorite. It was Brian Tyler? <laughs> he's scoring. Um, I think Young Justice. Uh, they also have Clint Manziel, who does all the Aronofsky movies. Like they just across the board, great writers, directors, actors, voice actors, and so forth. So I would be interested in hearing about this DC uh, streaming service. But first, my friend, let us talk video games, as they say. Um, we like talking about this offline. We have talked about this in the past, but because, and the, the other thing, Alistair and listeners, the, the Bizzlecast dropped off over the last year in some ways was I was just sick to death about t- talking about Marvel, DC and Star Wars. Um, and so whenever <laughs> I, I can get a non-traditional, uh, person on to talk politics or traveling or public speaking or food or whatever, I'll have them on. Um, but I really toned down, uh, and toned back the, the nerd stuff, but, but Alistair, I, we're inevitably going to need to talk about the nerd stuff but since i do have the awkward controllers podcast it's sort of the brother podcast to the Bizzlecast, um where we talk about video games uh everything from news to i just did like a two and a half hour destiny lore podcast with my uh, co-host on that show ethan um what have you been playing i know some of them uh, we're playing some of the same games i'd be interested to hear what you've been playing i mean it's been years but let's say the last like say four to six months or more recently what have you been playing in, in the video games that we sort of ease in to the more intense topic which I can't wait coming up later in the podcast. <laughs> go ahead, buddy. Man, I don't think we have time to go into how much I've... This year was my year to scale back on games and really get into to movie history, and I kind of haven't done it as much as I would like because yeah. there's been so many great games out. It's crazy. No Man's Sky just got this huge, gigantic update that made it a game worth playing. And I then, may have been playing that for three hours before we started yeah. and was playing it because my computer is only my, my work computer system is only 90 degrees from my gaming computer system. So while yeah. I'm waiting for your message to come through, I may have played yet another hour of No Man's Sky. I'm at <laughs> around 50 hours. Go ahead. Yeah. All my friends are jumping on and saying, let's play online. And it's so it, to me, it feels like a completely different game, and I love it so much. And I never thought I would say that about that game because I've never regretted spending $100 on a game at launch as I did with that piece of poop. Um, Dragon Quest mm. Builders 2, didn't see that one coming. Uh, my friend said to me, hey, Stardew, so if you don't know me, Stardew Valley is my life. I have it on every console that I have. Um, it's even on my phone. I love it. I, it's just my favorite game. So Dragon Quest Builders 2 came up as a suggestion and I lost about 110 hours of my life to that game so far. Um, and there's still so much to do. Uh, and just recently, Blair Witch came out exclusive for Xbox and PC. Um, I've played it for the last week uh, and I've finished it three times and I'm still playing it because it's just incredible, immersive, true to the law horror that no one else is doing right now. If you don't mind jumping back, if I jump back to those first two, No Man's Sky and, and, uh, uh, Stardew Valley, which is, you know, the uh, No Man's Sky, first of all, you know, I was well aware of the lies and stuff going on with that game when it came out 
And I still haven't completely forgiven Sean Murray, the head of the company who was the one peddling the lies. The problem, Alistair, is that A, the game's gotten really good, but B, uh, it's, it is an indie studio with only a few dozen people. So yeah. when EA slash BioWare lie through their teeth, which I always predict and always happens, and whenever Bethesda lies through their teeth, which I always predict and always happens, unfortunately... Then I get really angry at the people at the top there. Again, not the employees, but at a company like Hello Games, you can still be mad at Sean Murray. And I still think he needs to have his Ellen moment or Oprah moment where he comes out and apologizes because especially because the game's successful, come out and be like, I screwed up. This was my vision for the game at three years where we are now, not on launch. And I just lied because we were really nervous about losing money. So we lied to get people to buy it. And, you know, I was there three, four years ago, the live service thing hadn't completely sunk in and now we are seeing almost yeah. every live service game from fallout 76 to anthem even destiny which i do like um but we'll get to that um the division 2 which i started playing was actually considered like the cleanest of all the live service launches ever because let's be honest <laughs> man we can complain about assassin's creed and far cry and stuff being samey but ubisoft knows what the fuck they're doing yeah definitely. generally but anyway, yeah. so No Man's Sky, all these. I'm happy for everyone in the company. I just wish Sean Murray would have the guts to come out and have, you know, do, you know, because he did all the interviews before it came out, so he could get huge applause and adulation. But he won't do the hard hitting interviews now to say we, I screwed up, not we, I fucked up as the head in the beginning. I'm gonna cop to it, but I'm glad people stayed with it, and we've been giving, you know, we're basically in the 2.0 or 3.0 phase now. And so you did pay all that money for that piece of shit when you bought it. But now you have all the good stuff, right? The Destiny yeah, people at Bungie are saying uh, saying the same. Um, oh, Destiny! <laughs> really quickly, though, man. You know, the joke is that No Man's Sky is uh, Minecraft for grownups. But my my theory about No Man's Sky is it actually has as much to do with games like Stardew Valley and Terrarium, for example. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. very meditative. Um, it's mm-hmm. tons of, I mean, there's so much grind that it's not actually grind because you're there to collect resources and just walk around. So, you yeah. know, grinding implies that like in destiny, you have to grind, kill way more things you want than you want to, to get what you want. That's grinding this, but that is the gameplay of no man's sky terrarium, um, and, and stardew Valley. I'm probably missing a couple as well. Oh, even, um, animal crossing and some, you know, you build your own little house, right? You build your own little base or bases and you're kind of customizing it and the world sort of interacting around you um a does do those comparisons hold up at all for you um as a fan of of stardew valley at least um and b uh you know are you as surprised that i am that despite the horrible release and the extremely non-traditional nature of no man's sky how well it's doing yeah i never thought i'd be coming back to it ever um and my ryan my good friend was like, hey, you should get back into it. It's worth it. I'm like, eh, I don't think so. And then I downloaded it and started playing it. And I started a fresh save file because I'm like, I don't remember what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And six that was a good hours move, later. By the way, because the tutorial now is a thousand times better. Yeah. Yeah. Six hours later, it was 2 a.m. And mm-hmm. I'm like, where did all that time go? I know, right? And then it was just like a solid week of just playing it nonstop. And it was like, I'll hop on for half an hour. And it's like, three, four hour sessions. So with, I find with those games, it's not grindy. If you can lose that much time and not realize it and be totally immersed, 
which I have been. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely holds up to like Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing, all of that good stuff. Definitely. And the reason I mentally think about the Beyond update, which obviously came out recently as 3.0, is because mm-hmm. it did get get a massive update around 12 to 14 months ago that made yeah. it playable and actually good. And I actually played about 10 hours on my uh, PlayStation. Now I'm playing on my my PC rig, obviously because I can, and you know I want ultra graphics and everything else. Um, although I still use a controller, man. I'm a PlayStation guy, but I love the Xbox controller. I got like a, a really nice Xbox controller I use with my PC because, you know, when you're running around for hours in space, you don't want to be just clicking the keyboard and mouse, in my opinion. Um, no, I'm the same. I'm controller on the PC guy all the way. Although yeah. the menus are still pretty jank. Like, so I do keep my <laughs> mouse there in order to do inventory management. Like in The mm. Witcher, that was always my complaint when I played Witcher 3 on the PlayStation. My only real complaint, other than some janky movement stuff, was that it's really annoying with a, a, um, a controller only to manage the huge inventories in The Witcher, which arguably the Witcher inventory is way bigger than the No Man's Sky inventory, which I never saw coming. <laughs> um, yeah. But... but uh, uh, but so it's nice to have both of those um, going. But even in Destiny, and my friends who I play with on Destiny, who are much better than me, much younger, much more, and they play competitively, they're much better, make fun of me constantly for using a controller with Destiny. I'm like, guys, this is just what I'm used to, you know? Like, yeah, and it's uh, for me, it's comfort. It's comfort. Like I, it's much yeah. more comfortable to sit there with a controller yep. than keyboard and mouse, and that's just my opinion. And honestly, dude, going just to take Destiny, because No Man's Sky, I mostly avoid combat. I played so much Wing Commander, TIE Fighter X-Wing back in the 90s that I immediately (laughs) was like pretty good at No Man's Sky combat without realizing that it was going to be happening. Um, uh, And it's at least as good as the Battlefront 2 space combat. Uh, You know, it's not bad. And I heard that's their next big thing they're working on, which will be super cool if that's true. Um, However, Destiny's all fighting. Um, But going from... uh, uh, a big screen TV um, where I was maybe a little too comfortable on the couch with a PlayStation controller <laughs> and, you know, maybe 30 frames a second to a PC rig with a 4K monitor, an Xbox controller, and 60 frames per second, no frame rate drops. Mm. That was as much, uh, that was like a bigger improvement than I would have gotten going to keyboard and mouse or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I instantly yeah, got way yeah. better just by having a better rig. And I definitely, mm. definitely prefer the Xbox controller. And they work great with the PC. Um, I assume you use an Xbox controller as well. Yeah, I do for PC. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was using it wireless, but it was causing some problems. So I just play wired at this point. Who cares? It's b- better response time. Um, yeah. So really quickly, guys, for those out there, No Man's Sky, because um, we've been talking about this on the Bizzlecast, me and Ethan, for years, back when it sucked, back when it started to get good last year. And then now, uh, again, we're all playing it when we, none of us really thought Alistair is playing it. I didn't know that till a few days ago, man. That's really cool. Um, and they, they keep giving you enough interesting new things to do that the sameness hasn't quite sunken in yet. Um, yeah, for yeah, me, the, the limit of, of great game video games is about 150 hours. Um, but the only games <laughs> in recent history that I've played 150 hours on other than Stellaris, which is a hardcore, um, Civ type space, uh, strategy, you know, turn-based strategy game kind of thing, um, is, uh, I played, Two playthroughs of Horizon Zero Dawn, which was like 225 hours. Um, (laughs) One full playthrough of The Witcher and most of the DLCs, which is about 160, 170. And I just hit 150 
on Destiny uh, 2, although it was two different characters, but still, it's 150 hours Destiny 2, and definitely yeah. hit that wall. It came much later than I thought with Destiny 2, but I definitely hit the wall mm. where I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait till the fall when they release new content and focus on No Man's Sky because it's relaxing. I can play No Man's Sky, you know, if you know you're going into combat or you're going to be doing crazy stuff, you can focus more. If you just want to run around your ship, I love that you get capital ships that you can design rooms in, and oh man, it's great. It's It turned out so much better than I thought. But, um, yeah. So let me throw it back to you. When you heard all the promises and you bought, you were an early adopter of the game and you didn't get the promises, is where the game is at now where you um, had hoped it would be much earlier or has it even surpassed it or do you think there's even more? You know what I mean? Like based on yeah, you, I, let's say five years ago with announcement, three years ago with released and now, where is it in your mind? Um, I think it definitely surpassed it. Um, I think at that stage, when you think about that, PS4 was, it still is huge, but PS4 was winning, inverted commas, the console war. So They're any still game, winning over here, at least. Any game, I know, I know. They are still winning, definitely. Um, any game that Sony was like, hey, this is our studio that we've like coddled and it's exclusive and we can't wait and blah, blah, blah. Any game that earned that, <laughs> that backing, I think everyone was excited about, regardless of what it was. Um, hmm. So it was like, yes, another great game on the PlayStation 4. And I think that's been probably the only disappointment to come out of PlayStation 4. But now, looking back, I really wish <laughs> that they'd gone the Last of Us Part 2 route and just told us that it was coming and just keep drip feeding us footage <laughs> uh, and then actually just released it this year as it is now. And I think we'd be looking at a very, very, very different kettle of fish. It's probably the greatest comeback story ever told, in my opinion, this game. I just am shocked. I'm just in shock. And it definitely surpassed what I thought it would ever be because, I, as I said, I never thought I'd go back to that game ever. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is another reason for Sean Murray to do the Ellen interview now because it's so successful and loved. Like that's the best time to come out and say you're sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if it had completely uh, crashed and burned forever, then he would just go hide in a hole somewhere and we'd never hear from him again. We have to hear from him. <laughs> Destiny has an excuse because they've been getting fucked with by Activision for years. Yeah, and ever yeah. since they left Activision, they've been absolutely killing it. Um, mm. You know, my friend Ethan has been playing, even though he's really young, he's been playing since Destiny 1 Vanilla, like the early days. Um, and But we, we, we always talked about Destiny 2 before I played. But when Forsaken came out last year or whenever it was, that was when he came to me. He was like, look, I know you don't love a ton of shooting and you're not a live service guy, but if you're ever going to try Destiny, you can get it for like 10, 20 bucks, get the whole Forsaken campaign. And I was like, okay, I'll do it from my PlayStation. And it looks spectacular on the PlayStation, let alone my computer with Ultra HD graphics. I think Destiny 2 is the best-looking PlayStation... Um, uh, let me put it this way. Of the non-exclusives, uh, like not including including Horizon, God of War, I'm probably missing some, 
Destiny mm-hmm. 2 looks the best on the PlayStation. And I don't have a Pro. I have a nice television. I do not have a Pro. Just, but, but nevertheless, once again, I'm going to play on my PC rig, even though I'd put in, you know, 50 hours on the PlayStation with a different character. Um, yeah. it, it looks amazing to me. The shooting spectacular, uh, you know, the multiplayer stuff, they really give you options of like what you want to do. Um, but ultimately it, it is a looter shooter and you do feel like you're accomplishing something more with No Man's Sky, even though probably in the end you won't have accomplished anything but lost five. 500 hours right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um to, to talk about stardew valley for a second um because uh uh that is a game that has held the test of time the story of the yeah. guy behind it is extremely interesting i think he's working on a new project i believe he is he is I, and, and you is, will probably love it and this is the place where i always plug jason trier's book blood sweat and pixels um who's the top <laughs> video game reporter by far in this country. He broke the Bioware story. He's been, you know, breaking all the the sort of um, the rock star, like all the crunch stuff going on, you know, torturing employees and so forth, basically. He's been breaking all the stories. And he's turned Kotaku around. He turned Kotaku from a clickbait site to like an actual reporting and even investigative journalism site because they gave him the reins of it. He's writing his ne- next book now. But the first book, Alistair, have you read it? Blood Sweat Pixels? No, I haven't. No, he just he let's just put it this way. He picks 10 to 12 games and talks about the development stories that you and I love almost all the games. Uh, Dragon uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, I believe. Um, uh, Divinity Original Sin. Um, he talks about Stardew Valley. He talks about, but then he talks about like the Star Wars 1313 game that never got made, for example. You know, some of the ones that didn't get made. Oh, Uncharted 4. The, uh, how epic the Uncharted 4 was because they had to start from scratch when they were halfway through because they weren't happy with where it was going. And that's part of the delay about Last of Us is Neil Druckmann was really trying to focus on Last of Us 2. This was two, three years ago, but they had to bring in the big guns to fix Uncharted 4. I think you and I will agree that that worked. Um, um, yeah, but thank you, Neil Druckmann. Thank you, Neil Druckmann. <laughs> but also thank you uh, to, to, to follow up, Alistair, and throw it back to you, which is all the Sony, for the most part, all the Sony studios and CD Projekt Red, who has pushed back um, Cyberpunk 2077 and also did The Witcher 3, which we're about to talk to. So this will be a good transition. Um, but really quickly, CD Projekt Red, um, which is still like only a mid-sized studio, and the Sony studios, Santa Monica, um, uh, Gorilla, uh, Naughty Dog, they mostly have taken the let's get a really good game done before we throw it out there. Other than Days Gone mm-hmm. earlier this year, which was a disappointment, um, uh, which had some major bug problems. Am, am I wrong in thinking that most of the PlayStation exclusives going back to Bloodborne when that became a thing have had like pretty smooth launches? Yeah, apart from No Man's Sky. <laughs> um, yeah, they have, yeah. Right, Definitely. and that's so interesting um, too because it was No Man's Sky was exclusive and it wasn't exclusive. Yeah, mm. and day like Days Gone did have bugs, but they patched it pretty quick, mm-hmm. and it wasn't game breaking. It wasn't you can't play it. Um, it was overly ambitious, um, and I think they probably needed to rain pull the reins back in a little bit, um, but. Yeah, for me, day like Days Gone, when I first played it, I hated it. I thought it was complete trash. And as I kept, like, the first 10 hours, I was like, what are they doing? This is the beginning of the end for Sony. This is it. Um, and then I kept, <laughs> I know. And then I, because I was it's reviewing It's like you had it, just I watched Batman v Superman, it. and we're thinking about DC Comics. <laughs> 
Sorry. Get out. <laughs> um, I And, yeah, then I finished it and I was like, wait, that was like it actually got better, a lot better. And by the end of it, I was totally sold. Yep. I've heard the same thing. I've heard the the 10-hour thing, just like you said. I've heard that the bugs got better. Obviously, Sam Witwer mm. is like one of the best voice actors in the world. He should get a nomination. Oh, I'm so in love with him. Oh, you know, obviously. I, I, interviewed, I interviewed him earlier this year. What? Oh, go ahead. Uh, for a... For a um, he came down to our version of Comic-Con, uh-huh. um, which was really, really good. And he is just the loveliest... Loveliest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we were meant to talk about Supergirl, and we ended oh, up right. talking mostly about Days Gone <laughs> um, awesome. and video games with a little bit of Supergirl. But yeah, he is just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. I've heard that from everyone, um, and everyone is beyond excited in, in my part of the Star Wars nerdverse for the Clone Wars for him to be basically <laughs> one of the two main characters. I mean, Tim versus Ahsoka is the main story, uh, right yeah. at the sort of when episode three is wrapping up and at the Mandalorian side of the universe uh, is going to be amazing. He's awesome as Maul, all of his voice stuff. He's such a great looking guy, too. I'm glad he's getting oh live action God, roles yeah. like, mm-hmm. um, uh, like Supergirl. And dude, he is... Of, of all the one-season characters that were early on in Battlestar, he was by far the most memorable as Crashdown in the first season <laughs> and, and change of Battlestar because of his crazy arc. Um, and uh, I don't know, I don't want to spoiling it. It's been over 10 years at this point. He's like you yeah. know, a hot-headed pilot. They crash down on a planet that's, that's like a holy site, but they get lost and there's Cylons everywhere and they're really scared. There's only a few of them. And he's about to order them into a, uh, a suicidal attack on the Cylons because he's not a good leader. Like he's meant to be a pilot, not a leader. But because of his rank, you know, he's supposed to be in charge. The Chief Tyrrell, who's like one of the leads of the series, um, Aaron Douglas, who really keeps trying to talk him down, but eventually he just loses his mind and he's going to murder poor little Callie, um, the, you know, the Chief's little uh, assist, uh, monkey, um, no, Grease Monkey assistant, um, to murder her for not following orders. And then Baltar, the, the, the ultimate bad guy, bad guy, sometimes good guy, bad guy guy, just shoots him in the back uh, in one of the, the most surprising and great death scenes ever. But he's very memorable as Crash Town. I remember that so clearly. And so when he popped up again, you know, doing lots of voice work, that was actually around the time he did uh, The Force Unleashed. Um, yeah. And oh, he was on Smallville too, right? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was. Yeah. I've heard he's very lovely. Um, and I've heard, uh, uh, to circle back and we'll wrap up on video games for now, on Days Gone, I've heard what you said, um, but I've also heard it's a type of game where you should uh, like consciously not try and do the 150 hour Witcher grind on and like yeah, take no, maybe 20 to 30 hours and really enjoy those yeah. 20 to 30 hours. Yeah, definitely. It's not a it's not a Witcher grind kind of game. And that's the and major problem. If you want to do that, yeah, you'll be like, this game sucks. And that's, of course, but the problem. To no, be but- fair, that's mm-hmm. what that's what was sold to us, though. Yes, that's true. From Sony is that's this is what this game is. And no. I was like, it's definitely not. Um, but it's still, look, it's massively discounted at the moment. So you can get it on a really good price. And if you want to get a good 20, 30-hour game in before all these massive games come out for the end of the year... And to lead into our next conversation, Witcher 3 coming out on Switch in October. Goodbye, my life, again. Um, <laughs> it's 540p. I'm now. not sure you'll fall in love with the graphics, but who cares? It's an amazing game. 
Have you seen the graphics so far, the gameplay? Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks amazing. And when you're playing it on your Switch portable, it you don't you can't tell. You can't tell. Mm-hmm. You can't tell. As long um, as the, the the combat is smooth, e- everything else can be ignored and yeah. forgiven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just really quickly, and we'll jump into Witcher and some related topics, uh, w- w- which is um, uh, just to circle back to my initial question to you was about Stardew Valley and why um, games that some people will just seem feel like, whether it's No Man's Sky or Stardew Valley, could accuse of just being grindy, annoying, and long with no real goal, but why a lot of people, including ourselves, really like those games. I, I, you know, I know it's hard to sum up in a few sentences, but um, but Stardew Valley is one that I've compared <laughs> to games like No Man's Sky in the past. I'm interested as to why that Stardew in particular is a, a, such a favorite of yours. Um, I think for me, it's <laughs> like I've spent hours like i've spent long gaming sessions in stardew valley and then i've also picked it up for 10 15 minutes while i'm sitting on a train or a tram going to work and the experience is still the same i don't there's no obligation for me to you know only stay with it for 20 30 hours the game is essentially like forever right so, I don't know, maybe for me as a gaming journalist, I play so many games every year mm-hmm. and I only have so much time. And if I'm reviewing a massive open world game like Witcher 3 or anything by Ubisoft that's open world that demands <laughs> a massive chunk of my time and I have to cram it all into this space, games like Stardew Valley and No Man's Sky, I play for enjoyment and I don't, I can play it for 10 minutes. I can play it for 10 hours in one session. I'm still going to get that same experience. And I can keep, essentially, I can keep playing these games forever. There's no time limit on it. There's no content limit on it. Whereas if I don't get to this spot, it's going to be spoiled for me or I can't review it unless I finish the story or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And uh, I did want to just quickly ask you about Dragon Quest Builders, which you mentioned, which is you take those kind of games and you add the Nintendo portability where you can physically shut or turn off the screen at any moment. And part of the reason, dude, I have loved Dragon Quest games in the past, even though I would never probably play an old school Dragon Quest game on like a big system, um, (laughs) both because of, you know, just how cheesy it is and blah, 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 colorful, but on a small system where I can play in chunks and just grind and, you know, run around and then just close my DS or I don't have a switch yet. Eventually switch, you know, turn off the switch, close the DS, put Mm -hmm. it aside, open it up, do some more grinding, discover some more stuff. That really is is a great one-two punch. And props, by the way, to the I don't know how it is on your end, but on my end, I've never been booted from No Man's Sky. It's not technically a live service, no. but you are connected yeah. to them. But if you lose your internet connection, they don't boot you off your game, which happens in Destiny and Division 2 and all the other live service games. And yeah. I like how with a relatively few number of menu options, I can turn off basically all the multiplayer parts of No Man's Sky, at least for now, other than um, occasionally running around with a couple of buddies of mine. I don't really want to interact with other people or have them blow up my base and stuff like Minecraft yeah. shit 
like I'm not into that. But I love yeah. Destiny. If you leave your computer screen for five minutes, they kick you off the server, which I understand. It's a lot of bandwidth. But with No Man's Sky, I like that I can like have my guy hit the save point, go grab a slice of pizza, come back, and just keep playing without having and to like playing. shut it down and reload. Yeah, totally. So really quick, Dragon Quest, I do like the property. Uh, again, Nintendo, I, I, my only problem with Nintendo over the years going back to the 80s is it's just not my aesthetic generally. So I'm not a hardcore Zelda guy. Yeah. I'm not a hardcore Super Mario guy. You know, like all the classic stuff. Now, the stuff that was on the DS <laughs> a lot, like Dragon Quest, because I love my DS and then my 3DS, I did play the shit out of. And, got you know, and Chrono okay. Trigger, you know, when they start porting all the SNES classics, like Chrono Trigger, I play all the time. At my old DS now, I love that stuff um my notion else there is that the builders warriors and so forth spinoffs of their major franchises are very hit and miss is that correct and why does this one seem to be a hit well this is my first dragon quest game ever is it your first so builders never, game ever well any my first dragon quest game ever i've never played anything any of the builders any of the warriors okay. any of the old games nothing mm-hmm. so this was brand new to me um, and my friend who told me to get it said that it's Dragon Quest 2 because it does have a story, hmm. and I think that's what I liked. It has a story as well as the building element, and it's essentially Dragon Quest 2, the same story retold, but adding on this builder element, which for me is like, I don't know, kind of like, I don't want to say the future, but I feel like it is kind of the future for these kinds of games because it integrates the Minecrafty Stardew Valley building stuff in with a, like a surprisingly really good layered story um, that because I haven't played the old games, I had no idea what was like, I didn't know what was going to happen. So for me, it was just amazing to be able to build stuff and farm and, then at the same time, I've got these two races fighting for control of this island and your best friend turns out to be the bad guy who awakens from his sleep and tries to kill you after he's helped you build the whole island and then just destroys it. And it's, hmm. ugh, it was so good. Hmm. And it's also on PlayStation 4 and I, and I got it on Switch solely because I feel like games like this belong on consoles like that. So I do agree with you there a hundred percent. Interesting. Interesting. Um, now you are a switch guy and have been for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you always been a Nintendo guy uh, going back? Cause Um, I've not really, again, the portability. We were were a Sega house. Um, if they were still around, I would still be with them because <laughs> I loved them. Um, regardless of what they've done to Sonic over the years, I still love them. Um, I, yeah, we were a Sega house growing up. So, yeah, we had all the Sega consoles. And then our friends who lived two doors down from us were Nintendo. So we'd always go to each other's houses and switch it up if you want to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been around, but yeah, hmm. we were a Sega house. So quick recommendation. We'll move on for video games, which is, uh, okay. uh, I did mention a book and there's other ones, but if you only read 
one book in this next year about the history of video games. Read a book called Console Wars that came about five to seven years ago that supposedly is being made into a movie by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, like a serious movie. Um, I'm not sure, um, but this, but it talks. It's specifically about the formation of Sega of America, the early years of Nintendo of America and Sega of America battling. And how ultimately okay. Sega was beating Nintendo, but because Sega of Japan was so dysfunctional and constantly fighting with Sega of America, they ended up cannibalizing themselves after like three years of total domination of Nintendo. And while there were lots of problems with their systems and games and management that would probably have caused them to fail at some point, they dropped off the market way earlier by like 95 or so, 96, specifically because they had this brilliant... Um, uh, a CEO executive that they stole from uh, Mattel, who's you know a huge toy company um, in America. Um, it was by far you know did all the Barbies and everything. Uh, he's just a brilliant uh, CEO. They stole him. He rejiggered the whole way the company was run, and he was totally into Sega's sort of edgy image. But he also didn't like being pushed around by the Japanese, and the Japanese didn't like this American coming in and doing such amazing things, especially because Nintendo was beating Sega in Japan. You know, yeah. which they care about, even though the money is so much less than American and European money, they still really care about winning in Japan. And while Nintendo of America, as you know, and Nintendo of Japan have had plenty of problems over the years, <laughs> nothing like the amount of problems in such a short amount of time in the early 90s with um, uh, w- between Sega of America and Sega of Japan. Um, and, and even while they had 60 plus percent market share, uh, in, in this country, they were already losing because while the American component of Sega was really tight and worked great together, they could not co- communicate with the Japanese and vice versa and ended up just being a disaster. It's really, really interesting. It's a nonfiction book, man, but it's written as if, and this is part of why I think it's cinematic. It could be a good movie. It, it's, it's written, um, as a novel. So it, the, the okay. writer, takes real quotes and interviews but then you have the actual conversations and get into the minds of the people he interviews so tom kalinsky's the main guy it's usually from his perspective but sometimes you go to nintendo's head of, you know in america and you're getting it sort of from his perspective so it's like 95 percent nonfiction, but five percent artistic liberty which makes it really easy and fun to read and just <laughs> you won't believe the stories of just the horrible decisions and also just terrible luck at times that sega had um even while they were dominating uh, the world, were they as dominant in in, in your memory in, in your because um, we're around the same age? Were they as dominant in Australia for that period of oh, time yeah. as they were here? Yeah, they were they were huge. We even had a theme park. We had Sega World in Sydney, um, and that was hmm. like the first theme park I ever went to, and it was amazing. Um, <laughs> there was like a Sonic minecart roller coaster. Um, yeah, it was just crazy. But yeah, Sega was definitely bigger than Nintendo in Australia back in the day. Um, definitely not the same now, but <laughs> um, yeah, back in the day, yeah, they were huge over over here. Huge. Definitely bigger than Nintendo. Hmm. Well, let's talk about The Witcher. Okay. Um. I don't even know where to start this. I know. Uh, I know. I'm like, I'm so, just gearing up to get back into it on the Switch. So I'm like, oh, it's all going to start again. Why don't I just give you my narrative and then we'll, we'll talk about our hopes and dreams for the future. 
Okay. Okay. Which is, you know, I love Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more than love because the Uncharted series was what got me a PS3 when I never thought I was going to buy a console. It was like many years since I'd bought a console, but I bought a PS3 because I was sick for an extended period of time and I had nothing to do but lie around. And I was like, I hear this Uncharted game's good. Uncharted 3 comes with a system. It's on sale. This is like 2012 or whatever. Bought the system, played Uncharted 3 like three times, got the other games, played through them, and I totally fell in love with the uh, um, third-person single-player storytelling that Sony has done so well, right, for for a number of years now. Last of Us 2 was amazing. I mean, even going back and playing games I'd played on my computer, like Modern Warfare, you know, um, was a cool experience. But it was definitely those adventure games, Tomb Raider, so forth. Um, And then I wasn't sure I was going to buy a PS4, and then I watched someone play Horizon Zero Dawn, and I'm like, I have to play this game and i will i will continue to say man even though i think the xbox controller has always been better than the playstation controllers i have never played a game where i have forgotten for such a long period that i was using a controller than horizon zero dawn on the playstation 4 it's you are like one with the environment the horse riding spectacular the bow and arrow stuff it, it couldn't be better um yeah. while it is somewhat of a limited game in some ways it, it just completely felt amazing and that is one of those games out there i wish i had the option to plunk down money for more content i would be like please i'll give you 20 dollars for 10 more hours like anything like please give me more content they've resisted it i know they're working on horizon 2 that's probably part of it but anyways everyone was like dude you love rpgs you love fantasy stuff and horizon stole a ton from the witcher which i had heard you're gonna love the witcher it was a little janky at first the combat i didn't get the inventory was all over the place and so i actually put it down for a few um for a little while and then came back to it and then fell totally in love once the story got going and i fell in love with Geralt and siri and yennefer and tris marigold and goddamn dandelion i love that stupid motherfucker <laughs> um i love all them and I got really into the combat too, actually. I, I found my groove, you know, like which signs I liked and how I wanted to fight and so forth. And I ended up really getting into the combat um, yeah. as well as the amazing uh, story. And this has only happened once before, man. When I was a kid, I played a series of RPGs that led me to read. Uh, uh, and it was one of those games that was written by a pretty famous uh, fantasy writer in the 80s and 90s named Raymond E. Feist. And uh, my parents had bought me the game and the game was so good. And I, re- I heard it was by a fantasy writer. I ended up reading all like 25 of his books and have gone through them, I think, twice. Um, you know, it totally made me fall in love with the property. And The Witcher, I'd heard, was, you know, like Tolkien level great um, in terms of like world building. And mm. dude, as I told you off mic, through via mostly audiobook, I've gone through all eight Witcher books, the five sort of series saga books, as I call them, and the three short story books, which are maybe even better than the series saga books because they're so damn good. And now I'm going through them again. And it is Peter Kenny, who's like maybe the best reader uh, of audiobooks out there. He's a, you know, a nominated, or I'm sorry, winning. Uh, a, theater guy i don't want to say he's in england he's a big theater guy in england and does amazing voice work and does all the books he does all the voices it sounds like completely different characters and i I, I mean the world is nowhere near as big as middle earth but in terms of sheer writing he's far beyond tolkien in terms of writing ability um is subkovsky andre subkovsky the the writer of the witcher um the best fantasy writer i've ever read and he focuses almost completely on dialogue and character stuff which is what i love and so i'm gonna throw it to you for your story 
But just to tease the Netflix series, if they stick to dialogue and character stuff between the main characters, it's going to succeed. If they try and do a lot of mustache twirling, like which there is some of in the books, but not nearly like Game of Thrones. <laughs> if they stick to if it's a ninety percent bad guys mustache twirling and killing people, like in Game of Thrones, that would be against the spirit of the book, and I don't think it'll be good. But Sapkowski is supposedly an executive producer on it, so I think it's going to be okay. I know I just said a lot, Alistair. You love The Witcher. Talk about anything you want. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm definitely pumped for the TV show. Um, I think it will be interesting to see what um, story they go with, um, as you've said. Um, it's such a big such a big world to dive into. Um, I feel like Netflix and the creators must have a really long-term plan for the show uh, because – I, uh, I don't know. I just can't imagine only one season of this show, right? Like, there's so much to dive into. The game, like, there's going to be a resurgence with it coming to Switch. Um, hopefully, CG Project Red will announce The Witcher 4 sometime soon, fingers crossed. Um, I would much prefer they were doing that than Cyberpunk, but that's a different story. Oh. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I haven't actually read any of the books, um, but I have the audio book of, hang on a moment, because thanks to your podcast, um, I have Blood of Elves. Yep. That's the beginning of the Pentology, the five book series saga. So the deep, okay. like that leads directly into the Witcher 3 game. So, if you Ooh, want to know how he okay. starts with Siri, he actually meets Siri in the short stories that start before that. But the relationship with Siri and Yennefer and so forth are, are going full swing with starting with Blood of Elves, and that's the the, the juicy stuff that those five books and leads it leads with her leaving into the sunset. Basically, in a way, I don't want to spoil. We know that from The Witcher Three, it's not a spoiler, right? She comes back; they think she's dead or she hasn't been around for years, and that's how The Witcher Three starts. Is you know the Emperor of Nilfgaard basically orders you under pain of death to find his you know daughter slash future wife or whatever Mm. um and by the way dude there is a lot of the gross stuff in game of thrones that people do like in the witcher the difference is you have some real good guy heroes like siri yennefer and Geralt, who yes are complicated and sometimes make bad decisions who you can root for as good guys that's the difference with game of thrones Mm. game of thrones they kill all the good guys or rape and murder and torture them until like the last episode basically right i mean that is not what it's about you should definitely read blood of elves once you're done that you're going to want to read the other four none of them are super long i will say though alistair his short story storybooks fill in a lot of the relationships and then also the world building stuff so like you know all the millions of types of creatures and concoctions and decoctions and so forth in the game like a lot of that world building does come from the main books but also the short stories it shows how he met siri it um interestingly they they um he never explains the actual meaning of yennefer and dandelion which i love because they're the other two mains that just that he knows them um and dandelions in the books a lot and it's great that he is because it can get really dark um uh what's going on to siri in particular um to all the main characters but that's awesome you for sure will read it my guess alistair is there i mean um, what i would do is um do follow the witcher 3 in in terms of the tv show or even ignore the witcher 3 and do their version of what happens after 
Lady of the Lake, which is book five of the series saga, the pentology. Um, but they yeah. also might do a prequel, though, because he specifically does mm. prequel stories that take place many years before the main story. And there's tons of things that happen that are sort of hinted at or mentioned between, you know, especially Geralt and Triss and Geralt and Yennefer, you know, his various sorceresses that he falls in love with and so forth. Um, but also Siri. I mean, Siri's much older in The Witcher 3 than she ever is in the video Um uh, much older in the video game than she ever is in the books excuse me um, and it's hard to tell from the casting because the, the, the woman they cast looks older than I would imagine Siri in the book but younger than in the game so I'm not sure where they're going to go I'm open to anything because again I love the relationships um, so while we're on it what are a couple things that you particularly love about um, about that world having just played, played The Witcher 3 um, I think it was definitely the like the depth of the story that got me like a lot of times with these open world games, the story's like, Oh, seen this before. Um, yep. And it, it gets very fetch questy and this felt like even when it did get to <laughs> a lot of fetch quests, there was always a story and a history and a law behind it that made it not feel generic, even though it kind of is, because <laughs> it's pretty much the same open world format as every other game out there. But attaching real, real strong characters, both male and female, and a history and a law just adds something to it that no one else is doing right now or has done. Um, so I think that's what actually got me into this series. And, and I, I think the reason they nail the open world is because when you read the books, it feels like an open world. It feels like anything's possible because it starts from Geralt's perspective, man, but there are large stretches of the book that are directly from the brain and perspective of Siri, Yennefer, and Dandelion, or Dandelion in particular. And let me tell you, dude, during the darkest moments when horrible things are happening, all of a sudden you get three Dandelion chapters with him, you know, in his own brain, like building himself up as this great hero and the best poet ever. And it, it's just exactly the... I, I really hope this young guy they cast for Dandelion is, is hilarious because you need that humor. Um, you know, yeah. he, he's a little bit like Peter Dinklage in Game of Thrones, but he's a freelancer, you know? He, he is a bard, and he is a brilliant bard, and the fact that he's a brilliant bard gets them out of a lot of trouble, but because of his personality of being such a, you know, prissy little, you know, uh, whiny bitch at times, it also gets them <laughs> in a lot of trouble, but it's specifically... Yeah. And you can tell from the game, Alistair, but you'll see in the books, you see exactly why Al uh, Geralt loves Dandelion. Even though he's constantly yelling at Dandelion and telling him to shut his mouth and stop talking and stop doing stuff, Dandelion doesn't <laughs> stop. And you realize yeah. that Geralt, who rarely talks and you know barely has emotion... He needs someone in his life like that who fills up that empty space because Yennefer is not often there even when they're lovers and Triss is not often there even when they're lovers and they can't be trusted. Dandelion can be trusted to – Geralt knows exactly when he's lying. He knows exactly when he's telling the truth. He knows you know, all that stuff, but he knows – like he can completely trust Dandelion's intention because Dandelion will complain about a forced march for, for 10 days and then Geralt's like, okay, Dandelion, you have to leave. We're heading into real trouble and Dandelion will be like, there's no way I'm 
I'm leaving you. Even though it's totally irrational, he can't fight or do anything. He just always wants yeah. to help Geralt. And there's an amazing, this isn't a spoiler, but Yennefer despises Dandelion early on, as you would imagine. A lot of them can, can't stand him. But later in the series, this isn't a spoiler, just a character thing. Um, and I'll give you a final word on this and we'll move on. Yennefer and Dandelion end up having to, to walk together for a few days or a few weeks or something. And she tells, she thanks him. And he's like, I thought you absolutely hated me. And and then she goes on to say a much longer and more articulate version of what I just said. And she realized how important it was to the man he loved, this crazy, loudmouthy, you know, at times cowardly, at times irrationally brave, you know, bard and singer and, you know, always trying to get laid guy. Um, and she thanks him because she's, she's basically like, look, I may never love you, but because Geralt loves you and I love Geralt, I, I essentially love you. Then you get those sweet moments in the book. It's not, you know, that, that, that you're not really expecting. And my final thought, Alistair, I'll give you about the series. I don't know if you know more mm-hmm. than me. I don't know very much. Is that while Geralt is nominally the main character, both in and out of the book, meaning both from the perspective of the characters and our perspective, the other characters are way more interesting. And that's why we spend a lot of time with Siri, Yennefer, Triss, and, and Dandelion in the book. And Geralt knows that. and Because Der- Geralt knows that he's a great guy and very powerful, but he knows that he's kind of dull. And so he likes mm. to surround himself with interesting people, whether he would admit it to himself like that or not. Um, and hence Yennefer and hence Dandelion. Um, uh, and, and so uh, I guess what I'm saying is Henry Cavill may be super famous and I'm very happy with that casting I think he'll do great if he gets great material but if for the series to succeed we need to see as much Yennefer, Siri, and a couple other in Dandelion as Geralt at least um, to be loyal just to the feel of the books does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what have you heard of anything slash expectations for the show and we'll move on to our final section um, I actually haven't heard anything. Okay. So I have no idea what they're doing, what stories they're going to lean from. Why don't we um, keep each I, other in the dark on this one? Maybe we should, you and I should not try and seek out spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I just hope they have a long-term vision for the I show. Agree with is that. all I'm hoping. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned multi-season earlier on. I meant to, hell yeah, that. I, I think they do. I think they have. I think they have to. It's... It's a story that needs to be told over a long period of time. You cannot rush it, regardless of where it starts and where it ends. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so really quick, non-spoiler, a little bit on Dark Crystal and then anything else in the streaming services, and then we'll end with DC. Okay. So not non-spoiler, uh, non-spoiler review of the Dark Crystal. And just for the people out there, Dark Crystal was the movie that every time I was sick and stayed home from school, my mom would be like, you want to watch the Dark Crystal again? And she'd go to the VHS store, bring back the videotape. And I would just watch Dark Crystal over and over and over again. And I grew up with the Muppets, Alistair. I know you have too. We mm, talked about it. Too. My family, every time <laughs> there was anything Muppets on television, new, old, or otherwise, we would watch it. Me and my sister probably watched Muppets Take Manhattan like a thousand times. Um, <laughs> among other things, but the Dark Crystal, be- being a Tolkien guy and being a Luke Skywalker guy, and we know Jim Henson specifically was drawing from um, um, Tolkien, uh, you know, Gelflings and so forth. Um, but it being Henson with all the puppets, and it was scary, and it was fun, and it was original, and it just sucked you into that world. This was a prequel series that I did not need, um, but considering how beautiful it looks and the and that it's really the Henson's behind it and hearing people you and other people I trust saying it's great I'm thrilled that it's happening so your your mm. experience with the dark crystal 
Um, so I liked the lore of the movie, um, but I felt it was very slow, boring at times and drags. How dare you? So for me, I liked the world, but the movie wasn't a classic. Um, but yeah, How this. How dare you? Get off this podcast. <laughs> Did you watch it as a kid or it was later that you watched it? No, as a kid, yeah. Okay. And I think mainly, I think also because it um, scared the hell out of me, probably also had something to do with it. Um, so this is just, <laughs> it was so much better than I thought it was ever going to be. Hmm. And it's better than it has any right to be, really. Um, they they found a way to integrate puppets and CGI subtly so it doesn't look awful and you're not going, oh, that's CGI. Um, so the Skeksis actually have CGI tongues. Hmm. So it just adds this layer to them that makes them look actually more real. And it, it, it's so hard to explain, but when you see it, it'll make sense. And you'll be like, wow, I didn't actually know that the tongues were CGI um, until I spoke to Netflix about it. And I was like, I still can't pinpoint. There are scenes where it's clearly CGI backgrounds for reasons, spoily reasons that I can't go into. Um, but everything is there. I watched it with a f- massive, massive fan of Dark Crystal who was absolutely in tears most episodes, mainly of joy, um, at just how faithful this is to Henson and to puppetry in general. A lot of people, you know how everyone's saying, this show is the next Game of Thrones. This show is the next Game of Thrones. I think I've heard it about six different really? shows now. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think Carnival Row was meant to be the next Game of Thrones. Someone was saying that the Golden Compass, his Dark Materials, is going to be the next Game of Thrones. Like all these shows are being helmed as the next Game of Thrones. The Witcher clearly gonna, is the one, right? I mean, people I'm, are stupid, yeah. Well, I'm going to throw it out. Yeah. And I'm going to make Good. people possibly confused and angry. Mm. Dark Crystal, if Netflix continue with it, will be the next Game of Thrones. Oh, I get it. I get what you're saying. You have seven realms, like seven different um, clans of Gelflings spread out across Thra. Mm-hmm. Some of them live in caves. Some of them live in the sky. Most of them live on the ground. Some of them live in you know massive beautiful expansive cities the others live in the forest like they're so so completely polar opposite clans and to see all of these clans who don't actually talk to each other who actually despise each other have to come together once they realize what's happening to them is just incredible to watch um I haven't read the books like you have, so I don't know how much of the books is in this. So I've heard the picture it I sent to you. Sorry, the picture I sent to you of the World of the Dark Crystal by Brian Fruit, who was the designer of the original and worked on this one as well, mm. is mentioned specifically as the main reference point in addition to the original movie. And if you look in the book, it's like reading 
it's like something Lara Croft would find in a tomb, yeah. like a gorgeous yeah. book with with not only color drawings, man, but they have clear overlays like you know ogra the the witchy witch um yes i love her so right. much so but the, the, her constellations are so complicated you can't just do it on a two-dimensional page so you have a page but then you have three translucent pages and it, depending on like which ones you flip you see whole different parts of the cosmos and the, mm-hmm. all the mysticism and the philosophy um yeah dude i i sorry i didn't mean when you were making your game of thrones thing i thought you were saying people were saying this is the new game of thrones but oh, you, you're no, the one saying, I'm it, saying and i know that. where you're coming I'm from yes that. okay yeah i'm yeah. totally saying that and um, i hope the witcher is not the new game of thrones because again some of the best parts of the witcher books both the the series saga books and the, the short story books are entire chapters where they just talk about the nature of magic or they talk about you know um politics or philosophy and stuff which they do do in game of thrones a little bit but like uh, you know i hope it's not just plot 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 because that's not what the books are about and not really what, what the show mm. should be about um yeah no yeah. So two thumbs up on Dark Crystal, which I can't wait to watch. It is very yeah. scary. Yes, it was it's, one of the few scary movies I watched as a kid and loved. I think it's definitely my favorite show of the year so far. Woo! Well, well, it's on par with another show that's also coming from Netflix. Um, Go on. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, so just to take a massive step sideways, uh, Ryan Murphy has a contract with Netflix that I only recently found out about. Hmm. Um, he signed a multi-year, multi-contract detail to do TV shows and movies. And I'm like, okay, cool. I love Ryan Murphy, have for a very long time. It'll be interesting to see when they say, do whatever you want um, and see what happens. He's just made a new show that's coming next month called The Politician. Uh, and it stars Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, it stars Jessica Lange. It has an incredible young cast of no names who will be huge names after this show. And I can't say too much because I'm under an embargo, but it is, I'm, so this was apparently a massive fight between Netflix and Disney slash Hulu to get Ryan Murphy and this specific show. Hmm. And I'm so happy that Netflix have it because it's rated, um, I think American R. So it doesn't, it can do what it needs to do without scaring, you know, without being family friendly. Uh-huh. Um, and it basically has the cast of, American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. But uh, Americans will love it because it's. Oh, he's making, the Glee guy. Yeah, I know. He is the Glee guy. Glee, yeah. American Horror Story, yeah. um, Assassination of Gianni Versace, you pray Love, American oh my God. Crime Story. Um, he is incredible. He's a massive ad- he's a massive advocate for uh, massive feminist, a massive advocate for LGBTQ. Um, the main character in this is actually uh, fluid, which was surprising. Um, the One of the main characters is trans and there's no big um, to-do made about that they're trans. They're just a character in high school. 
who happen to be trans. There's no hmm. big coming out stories. It's just that's what it is. Um, and it's all about American politics and what's happening in your political world right now. Oh, God. Oh, which God. Which for people that don't live there is oh, hilariously God. amusing to watch. Honestly, it's om- if, if, if they weren't lo- literally losing immigrant children who are unaccounted for, it would be hilarious for me as well. Um, there's enough actual horribleness that I, it's not funny, but there is 80% of it is, as an outsider, would certainly be hilarious. Yeah. I'll just... Sorry, I, I should rework that. I mean, like... Um, just the buffoonery and the clownishness of the people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know what you're saying. It's yeah. No one thinks losing migrant children is funny. Yes, we, no, we get it. We get it. Definitely not. Let yes. me. Yeah, or or just the fact that there's a viral video of white cops beating up black dudes like on a daily basis. Like that's not funny. Never funny. Yeah. No. But, but. Um, I, I, also, Bet. Yeah. sorry, I did want to mention yes. Bet, Mid, Bet Midler is yes. also in it. Speaking of the Muppets uh, taking Manhattan. God bless her. And yeah, you guys need to check out this show. It's incredible. Um, oh, just really quickly, Alistair, in addition to the buffoonery and the horror, uh, I've said from the beginning, this is going to be great for the liberal cause in this country, ultimately, but we have to get through it first, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. We will, we'll Hopefully, to, you're, you're near the end, right? You're near yes, the end. we're definitely near the end. Um, uh, Trump might actually end up being disqualified. It's hard to get a president out of office, but he could end up getting disqualified from rerunning uh, for a number of legal reasons. Um, so, that would be oh. interesting. Anyways... Um, all right, buddy. Um, well, I'm excited to do a Dark Crystal um, a podcast with you. Um, yes, so hurry up and watch it. <laughs> I will. I will. I don't know how available that book is, but check your Amazon and see if they have it. It's really yeah, one of I'll the most... Of all the like books that I thought was going to be a coffee table book, and ended up being like a religious text for me. Like I, I just could, <laughs> cannot believe how spectacularly, g- g- um, you know, the, a lot of the cool video games and movies you got the art of Star Wars, the art of The Witcher, and stuff. Like all that stuff is great, but this is this is new stuff that they built around yeah. the original movie, which was just you know eighty three minutes long or something like that. Um, yeah. There's also a great prequel and sequel comic book series, guys, that I recommend. It's gorgeous. It has some great lore and character stuff. Where at least some of it is with um, Kira and Jen, who are the original, um, you know, two Gelflings or whatever. Um, and it's a beautiful love story. The love story you don't see coming is great. Um, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so, Alistair, before we get to your huge reveal about your feeling about DC Comics, really quickly. You've heard the podcast and you've seen me post online, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney, Disney Plus. I called all of this a long time ago. Uh, the one thing that surprised me was how quickly Marvel was going to pivot to television. Um, mm. And as I've told you um, and other people, while I do like seven to ten of the MCU movies a lot, the other ones, I, there's like 15 or so I really could take or leave. And while the Defenders were uneven, Jessica Jones is still the best thing modern Marvel has done for me on any screen is Jessica Jones. Even though I don't love seasons two and three, just the character and everything around Jessica Jones is amazing. Daredevil season one to three are almost flawless, in my opinion, and get better with rewatches. And I even like some of the Iron Fist and Luke Cage stuff, and I love the Defender series, and so I was extremely disappointed that they it seemingly confirmed that they were getting rid of all of that, which it already seemed was the case, 
but bringing in huge movie stars like Elizabeth Olsen, you know, and the, the, the Winter Soldier crew and Renner and, you know, and so forth to television with their characters um, is not only a giant step up, man, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Inhumans, but is a major threat to DC on television. Um, thoughts about, and I haven't even mentioned Star Wars, because Star Wars fans tend to be split between those that are DC heavy and Marvel heavy. Um, so, you ever thought about any of that? Disney Plus, um, uh, Marvel, Star Wars, whatever, you know, go ahead. I don't think they're a threat to DC television hmm. because DC is so light years ahead of them in television production, characters, and story. DC have no reason to be scared as opposed to the movies where DC should be shitting their pants right now and saying, <laughs> let's just put everything on DC universe and skip the big screen, which they should be doing anyway. So um, you got I'm, mad at me for not seeing recent DC movies. So, but you're not you're unhappy with DC movies. So just go into I am. it. I'm I okay. Let's go. <laughs> I loved Aquaman. It was although I was initially unhappy with the casting of Jason Momoa and the uh, what uh, the racial change oh. irritated me a lot. Because if it was done the other way around, there'd be a big hoo-ha. But after seeing him in Justice League, I was like, okay, I get where this could be going. Mm -hmm. And after seeing the movie, it totally makes sense <laughs> that he's a Hawaiian. It just makes total sense that his connection to the water would make him be Hawaiian total sense anyway um i loved Shazam. wow that sorry alistair that is a comment about the movie that i have not heard in either case from anyone so that's really interesting i, I had not known that that was a big issue so that's interesting to me well it, i don't know if it was an issue outside of your country but everywhere else it was an issue that he wasn't blonde and white um uh, well among a certain the difference is we have a certain fan base that wants would want him to be blonde and white no matter what. Even if he wasn't blonde and white in the comics, they would still want him to be blonde and white, which is different than what you're saying. Yeah, I just wasn't sold on that. <laughs> um, but I am totally on board now. Um, and I loved it. It was, for me, and I know a lot of people have said this, it was Star Wars Underwater, which makes me even more angry that you haven't seen it. Um, There's no way I'll have that reaction. It's impossible. I, probably I not. Yeah. But the good news is, is that we're now getting a James Wan-led Aquaman universe with apparently three Aquaman films, a Trench horror spinoff, mm -hmm. an Amber Heard mirror led spin-off and possible teen up movie with her and wonder wow. woman which i'm totally totally into as long as wonder woman's in charge like she should have been in the justice league hello yeah i think if they do want to move forward in movies it needs to be wonder woman and aquaman up front and Superman and Batman can be busy saving the world and pop in occasionally. They don't need to be there 24-7. Don't at me, fans. Sorry, but that's how it should be. Well, dude, and the box you, office is showing. Yes, box office is showing this. Case. A couple things. First of all, you and I specifically talked about 
Well, okay, so we haven't done podcasts over a year, but we started podcasting over like two years ago. And one of our podcasts, you and I specifically were like, it makes so much sense for Diana and Aquaman to come forward because they're these godlike creatures, but they're attached to Earth. So they would save Earth together as both basically Greek myths, right? I mean, essentially. Um, and yeah. you and I actually talked about how much sense that would make and they'd have great chemistry and the, you know their power sets, the levels, I, I guess, are somewhat similar. Um, I, just for the record, me not seeing Aquaman has more with me just not just getting tired of nerd movies in general and I'm behind on a lot of movies. I am planning on seeing it. Now, unlike Shazam, I've heard many more mixed things about Aquaman. I don't know anyone who didn't like Shazam. I do know people who did not love Aquaman. Um, so... Yeah. yeah. And... I think, and you're a fan, by the way. We did just stress this, guys, if you haven't heard Alistair before. He yeah. grew up an Aquaman fan. I did. Um, and I still am. I actually am probably the only person on the planet apart from Momoa that has an Aquaman tattoo on my arm and has had for like 10 years. Um, so when people now, I proudly say, yeah, it's an Aquaman tattoo. And they're like, oh, did you just get that? No, I've had it for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Get on the bad w- bandwagon, guys. I've been, yeah. I've been sitting Thanks here for, for 35 years. Yeah. Um, we were actually talking about Disney Plus, right? We were meant to be talking about we Disney were. Plus. But then okay. We were. You talked about how Disney's going to slaughter them in the movies. I, I yeah, vociferously, they, they really are. quickly, they I do disagree with your notion that, okay, this moment, yes, none of the Disney Plus shows are out. DC is ahead. One year from now or two years from now, I think D- DC may have a challenge, I shouldn't say problem, may have a challenge to step up their game in terms of the size of their TV shows because, okay. let's put it this way, the Mandalorian, Star Wars, their launch show for grown-ups is, ha- has at least to the Game of Thrones budget, maybe more expensive. Their bigger shows on TV, like uh, Falcon Winter Soldier or WandaVision, are going to have pretty decent-sized budgets, although they're saving the big heavy hitters for the big screen, which is smart. But, but the Star Wars shows, for sure, on television, and some of the sort of mainline Disney things for families, whether it's cartoon or live-action, have very, very big budgets and i'm not saying big budgets equals quality i'm just mm. saying dc is dc is known for having some really good shows on tv they're not known for throwing tons of money at their shows they might have to pick one or two a year that they really throw money at to compete with you know because let's be honest man disney's bringing the avengers to the television for 5.99 a month that's kind of a big deal for americans who just spent five billion dollars between avengers three and four they're bringing, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, they're bringing C to D grade Avengers. Excuse me, Mr. Hawkeye? Mr. Hawkeye yep. fan? Uh, really? You're going to, that's it? You're going to call him a C level Hawkeye? Unbelievable. But it's not him. It's him. It's him handing it off to his daughter. It, he'll be in it for maybe five, ten minutes. I guarantee you, it will not be all about him. The no, whole future no, of Disney no. is going through Wanda because she's gonna. They're gonna wreck on her as an X Man. The House of M thing is mm-hmm. gonna happen. It's gonna tie it together nah. with Deadpool <laughs> two. Hope I'm telling you, man. Okay. Tell you, there's a reason Wanda's the one going between television and the movies and is the co lead in the Doctor Strange movie. She's gonna be the one. She's gonna go crazy. She's gonna kill all the X Men. That's how they're gonna reintroduce them into the Disney world. You just watch. Yeah, Doctor Strange. That was a great movie. I didn't like it at all, any. but with with Wanda in it, I'm I'm thrilled. But I've been on Elizabeth with Olsen bandwagon since Ultron and so I'll keep preaching it because the audiences seem to like her more and more and they wouldn't have given her a co-lead in Strange um, and you know her own TV show and probably more stuff going forward if they didn't see it and well, the audience reaction wasn't there. So uh, have you seen any of the footage from WandaVision? 
No, I, I mean, I, that's okay. a, yeah. It's a, it's a sitcom. Yeah. It's not uh-huh. a action set oh, I know. piece. That's what I want. That's what so I've always wanted. So there's not going to be a massive budget because no. it doesn't call for one. Correct. Um, I think the only show that may have a massive budget and probably will is the uh, Winter Soldier Falcon show, which still irritates me because oh, Falcon, really? Anyway. But just really um, quickly, man. Yes, I, I, I said that too quickly. The Star Wars main, the big Star Wars shows are going to have Game of Thrones budgets. I don't know what the Marvel shows will be. Oh, and you're right. Totally. If you look yeah, at Star the main. Wars has to. Yeah. Right. Star Wars okay. has to. So that's yeah. uh, right. It's hard to because there's Marvel, it. there's Disney, there's Disney Plus, there's Star. So let's just group in Disney. I guess what I'm saying is, the <laughs> Star Wars shows might, or or other shows like that. You know, it's something Disney isn't offering currently that I'm aware of. Um, and the fact that Star Wars is moving to television, even though it's always been in film, and we don't know about any Star Wars movies for at least three or four years, they're investing all the money in the TV shows. They're all going to be spectacular. And so, yeah, again, Alistair, we always end up here because I, I like Marvel, <laughs> but Star Wars is my true love and the one I keep defending. Because yeah, let me tell totally. you, dude, since 2012, when Disney took over Star Wars, four movies, two animated series, and some other stuff, I pretty much liked everything, even my problems with The Last Jedi. I'm still pretty okay with it and pretty much love everything. Whereas Marvel, like I said, is one out of two, maybe one out of three that really hits with me in terms of the film. Mm. So I, I'm equally skeptical of, of the shows. I guess I was talking more about the bombastic um, revelation of it, but then a week later when Disney Plus did their reveal, they really focused on Star Wars again, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and I think that's, to be to be honest, is smart. Um, I think having Star Wars on small screen and big screen, I think, personally, has the potential to be much better than Marvel. Sorry. It already is, in my opinion. Um, um, yeah. Like, it's already proved that it's an intergenerational thing, that it doesn't matter, like, people old and young love Star Wars or they hate it. Um, whereas I think Marvel's still carving out where it's going to fit I think Star Wars has already worked. You think about it, like Clone Wars, that's hugely successful, right? Yeah, and, and it's going to win awards and stuff and too it, this time, yeah. And it and it didn't need to interconnect with the movie universe or anything. It was its thing. Even when the movie, even when there were no movies, it was its own TV show. Mm-hmm. So, I think the two can coexist peacefully. And not have to, not everything has to be interwoven. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm excited to see Star Wars on the small screen on a smaller scale than a movie. There's a reason. Sorry, sorry, there's a reason that a year ago they had already announced that the first adult offering on launch day for this thing, before it even had the name Disney Plus. They announced the Mandalorian, not by name, and then they gave us the name, and that John Favreau and Dave Filoni would both be involved. People like Taika Waititi and great directors and writers, and so forth. Mm. There's a reason they're big budget, but I mean, you saw the Mandalorian trailer; they're killing people. So D23 yeah. had like three hours of like Anna Kendrick being cute, and then some cartoon nonsense, and then all of a sudden you see Star Wars, and they're murdering people. And then what was the biggest moment of the night, man? The biggest moment of the night was after the Mandalorian, which they smartly. Did 
did in that order when they brought you and McGregor on stage. Finally, I mean, oh. my entire social media was like Mandalorian. It's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I mean, it was just like it was it was like exclamation marks on social media for like forty eight hours straight after that happens. And the fact yeah. that that's how strong the fan base is after all the accusations of it not being strong. And oh, everyone hates mm. the prequels. Uh, I don't no, know about that. Don't. Yeah, it's not really yeah. so much. And even if they do, they like you and McGregor as Obi Wan, and we all love Obi Wan Kenobi. Come on, it's you and McGregor. That was the thing most people were excited about. I, look, I always say, dude, I always put money on Star Wars over Marvel. Can I just give you my theory to support what you're saying? I think yeah, Marvel yeah, is way overreaching here. I think Marvel mm. is... They made... They made Look, look! they made as much money in Black Panther as I was hoping, but more than they probably should have, given how, you know, crazy Wakanda is to the average American and average world citizen. That's great. Captain Marvel made way more money than it should have, considering the quality of the movie. No offense, Jedi Geek Girl and Captain Marvel lovers. Not a great movie. The Brie did nope. fine. The Avengers movies were very, very good. I'll still love the Whedon ones more than the Russo ones, but there's a lot of reasons for that. I do, I do, do like all the Avengers movies. They made $5 billion, so Captain Marvel's another billion, and then a billion and a half for Black Panther. All of a sudden, they're like, you know what? Let's do more movies and more shows. And dude, they announced five shows and five movies that are literally in a, about a 19-month span from Black yeah. Widow next May which I am actually the one I know I'm going to like and be excited about is Black Widow. After that, they announced five, four other movies and five other shows that only run until the following year, ending with Thor, Love and Thunder and the Hawkeye series. Whereas, mm. what did Star Wars do? Star Wars said, you know what? We had a little bit more backlash with The Last Jedi than we thought. Uh, Solo did not do as great in the theaters as we hoped, although it's an amazing post-market, and they claim they've made their money back and more on Solo at this point, which I totally believe. Um, it yeah. was poorly marketed, released at the wrong time, but it was a good sign for Disney. It, they, they said, you know what? We've got the Game of Thrones guys. They might do some movies for us. we got Ryan Johnson. He might do some movies for us. To your point, man, they've been very specific that all the movies big movies coming up the ryan johnson movies and the double d game of thrones movies are going to be in a completely different time and place and have little to mm. nothing to do with the skywalkers um yeah and totally. so the, but but they're also not promising any until at least 2022 and focusing on you know narratives on television so star wars mm. has had almost no major failures but the few that it's had they've completely you know revamped their priorities and how they want to approach whereas marvel is like okay we're making money let's do more and more and more and more that's obviously going to lead to more and more and more money yeah yep so i agree with you i always and the other thing is star wars has been in the zeitgeist non-stop for the last 40 years <laughs> comic book movies exactly. having an amazing 10 years alistair but you know before the dark knight in 2008 and iron man it had been very very few periods where people loved comic book movies it, you know mm -hmm. um and that could happen again people just get tired of it um i'm actually surprised there wasn't more comic book fatigue from the two avengers films i guess people are just really wrapped up in it at this point so okay dude um, you can follow that thought, but I want to hear you on DC films because you just praised the two most recent DC films, Shazam and Aquaman. Mm. Look, I think, so I do have DC universe. Thank God for VPNs. Um, so I've watched Titans, Doom Patrol, Young Justice season three, Swamp Thing. And every single one of those shows is better than anything that they've done movies wise in the last 10 years. Don't at me. I've it's heard that from other people. Yep. Incredible. Um, 
I wasn't looking forward to Titans. <laughs> and now I'm like, cannot wait for season two, in two which starts in two weeks' time. Um, Doom Patrol <laughs> just... I feel like if anyone would appreciate and like Doom Patrol, it's probably you. Me, I got to watch Alan Tudyk. I, um, I got to watch Doom Patrol. Yep. Alan, uh, yeah, Alan Tudyk is amazing. But the rest of the cast is also incredibly yeah. Oh, yeah. talented. I've heard this. Yeah. And this definitely goes into, it leans into the R rating heavily. Yep. Um, there is a superhero in the DC universe, um, called Flex Metallo, who can make everyone around him feel what he's feeling. And it sounds ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. Uh, but he is used <laughs> in one scene which a comic book company would never, ever let happen on a movie Certainly screen. not Marvel Comics, who's really screwed up still no. after all these years, yep. Uh, there's a point where Flex Metallo is having a flashback about his ex-wife who's dead and they're having sex. And he's standing in the middle of a street and this whole street of people start orgasming. It's just totally bonkers. Is it like like the... uh is it like the Merovingians uh, thing in the Matrix Reloaded, where he gives that wo- that random woman a piece of cake? It's just an orgasm in the middle of the like a, it's like a coded orgasm, or it's like that's actually a magical superpower. I, I want to know about this. I need these skills. Yeah. <laughs> you need to watch this show. It's incredible. Okay. Um, there's a one of the superheroes is called Danny, who's literally a street, literally a, a main street. Okay. who's also trans. Like, it's just the most crazy bonkers stuff I've seen in a show. And Brendan Fraser reclaiming his... Oh, yes. <laughs> his his um, store as an actor. But then we go on to Swamp Thing, which we're still fingers crossed for season two, which goes into the South and has this really incredible story. You know, we've all heard about, you know, big oil companies versus small towns. And this really goes into big company versus small town versus nature's had enough, creates a monster Hmm. to destroy both the town and the oil company. It's horror, Mm -hmm. incredible horror that uses practical effects. Mm Mm-hmm like old school horror movie effects. Real, Incredible. Can, and can I jump in real quick? Young Justice. Young uh, Justice. Before Young Justice, can I just one. jump in real quick on those other two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard they're both great. I know people were upset about Swamp Thing. I will say the fact that at least Doom Patrol or and or Young Justice is maybe being optioned by HBO is a great sign for DC on a lot of levels. Um, well, yeah, know. it got um, confirmed. Season 2 Doom Patrol got renewed at comic-con and young justice has been renewed for two more seasons because one of as an outsider by the way my dad loves the pennyworth show he doesn't even re- get into comic books he loves <sighs> the pennyworth show. i love that show okay it's well he'll, so he'll love you for loving it there you go papa bizzle yeah. there's, there's your nugget the, be- the um, best though i did show him dark knight for the first time recently and it blew his fucking mind obviously um yeah uh, i have a couple points but first of all your description of Doom Patrol and then your description of Swamp Thing 
those sound very, 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 and this is a huge compliment because these are the only like adult comics I read these days. Very mm-hmm. image comic-y. I mean, yeah, image yeah. comics are rated R. They're bloody as hell. They're very stylized. Mm-hmm. They're for grownups, but it is often, yeah, like the spirits of the earth killing people or, um, or like Saga. I don't know if you've read Saga before, which is like the best-selling comic book series uh, on the planet, which is just total bonkersness. It's less bonkers than what you described, but it's, you know, yeah. just creatures that shouldn't be combined that are combined and doing things they shouldn't be doing. It's kind of gross, but funny and weird. And check out saga. It's been around forever. It's their best selling, uh, you know, like series or whatever. But yeah, image comics is a lot of stuff like that. I love that stuff. And again, dude, HBO needs rated our content. Um, and I think if part of, if I can read between the lines here, I do want to hear about young justice. It's about some of this mm-hmm. adult stuff is, we are sick of PG-13. Yeah. Everything in DC and Marvel is starting to feel the same as PG-13. And mm-hmm. this is where I have to say it, dude. I My defense of Star Wars comes back because if you watch any of the new Star Wars movies, obviously Rogue One is an extremely dark and violent war movie. But if you watch any of the new Star Wars movies or even the old ones, they're definitively killing good guys and bad guys all the time. In family yeah. PG-13 movies, they show us the consequences of violence, dude, which we don't mm. really see on screen in these PG-13 movies. Yes, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and the Dark Knight movies are like the ones I can point to. They kill more people in the Winter Soldier than every other movie by Marvel combined. Yeah. It's not even yeah. close. I mean, Nick Fury mows down like 100 cops definitively in that movie, mm. and that's the Russos. So why can Star Wars have a very dark adult vision where you know they cut Snoke in half and you see his body fall, you know? They're killing good guys. They're killing bad guys. Kill Luke Skywalker. Murder Han Solo by his son. You know, all this adult stuff. That's PG-13. And TV is... Look, it's on Disney+, Plus, man. They also own Hulu for their rated R properties, but they're putting Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, which means it's going to be, you know... Uh, it's going to be like Rogue One, which is pushing the boundaries of PG-13 um, stuff, or even the Dark Knight, and stuff that should be so adult. I don't know what's happened. Um, you know, again, the Dark Knight nailed it in pushing the PG-13 rating, but then the new regime, they've sort of followed Marvel's lead in making it clearly family PG-13, right, for almost all of these films. Um, mm. And I've said, by the way, Alistair, um, and I want to get back to you and Justin, some of these shows, you know, I, I often said that the reason Disney bought Star Wars wasn't in spite of the fact that it's a dark property, but because they needed a dark property and one that yeah. the censors would let them get away with because it's Star Wars, right? I mean, Star Wars and Batman are two of the only properties that can get away with really brutal stuff in PG-13 because they're so central to the culture. I don't know. I mean, Endgame had almost no stakes. Everyone came back to life. The final battle, no one but these faceless mindless aliens again get murdered um other than natasha and and, uh tony sorry guys spoiler alert who die even with the time travel which makes no sense you know there's no stakes to it it's just people swinging swords and aliens dying i mean even the lord of the rings had more uh, adultness going on the movies that is than what's going on dc marvel on screen so i'm I'm here to to hell yeah you on that even though i do like some of the marvel dc movies i obviously like wonder woman i like black panther although black panther was pretty dark and one moment that parts was pretty dark too um i don't know what's happening in the movies i'm glad it's happening on tv um the shows you've discussed and you've got a couple more go with young justice great cast um up and down as far as i can tell yeah go ahead and i think with season three of young justice it aged with its audience it realized that the people that watched it when they were kids are now teenagers or older teenagers so it's even gone down a bit of a like darker route there's a lot more heavy themes 
um, about immigration and politics that we didn't see in seasons one and two, yeah. um, we also now see blood in Young Justice. Can, can, I, can I add one more thing about is, all this? Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's animated, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I said this um, during a recent either Star Wars Rebels or Star Wars Clone Wars commentary with Simi, which is, you know, like some of these like Young Justice, as you've described in other people, definitely the Clone Wars. Some of these animated series deal with far more adult immature issues than these live action series and movies do. And again, I'm not sure why they can get away with it. I mean, in the Clone Wars and Rebels, just speaking from the Star Wars perspective, man, like... I mean, they deal with genocide and mass murder on a weekly basis in that show. Show for kids! A show for kids! And I'm watching it with Simi, I'm like, oh my god, their main lead female kid, Sabine Wren, who we love, is responsible for the genocide of her own people. Has Marvel done this ever? Like, live-action Marvel? And so, I'm not giving Marvel a pass because, you know, they're family-friendly PG-13. I'm sorry, Star Wars is doing it even in their cartoons. Sounds like Young Justice is doing it, and you might have some other examples. It just frustrates me. But you do agree with me, right? That, that, I mean, sometimes some of these animated shows are dealing with things more adult than uh, the the supposed live-action adult movies or whatever. Young Justice this season got a massive, like, 25 episodes um, which I know it's an animated show, but for a DC Universe show is a lot. Um, and they've released it in three episodes at a time. So while they have this massive, like a season story arc revolving around Granny Goodness um, and introducing us to Apocalypse, every three episode has its own like mini arcs. Um with like one episode dedicated to the overall story and how what's happening with these particular heroes contributes to that. Um, funnily enough, there's a lot of cyborg and black lightning family in young mm-hmm. justice this season, which I didn't see coming or know about. Um, and <laughs> I don't know. We've got cyborg in young justice. We've got cyborg in doom patrol. We've got cyborg in Titans. And all three versions <laughs> run miles around Ray Fisher's boring Borg. Okay. Sorry, I'll, Ray I'll give you that one because I liked uh, Justice League way more than anyone out there, apparently. So I'm not even going to fight it. <laughs> um, can, I know you have to go soon, Alistair. I really appreciate it. I do have a question related to what you just said and what we've been talking about to end on this, if you don't mind, which is... Yeah, yeah. I think one of DC on uh, DC's, and I'm going to include all media, uh, screen media, on screen, but especially the small screen, streaming. They are on a bunch of channels. Gotham's on one channel, Pennyworth's on another. Then we've got the streaming service, but maybe it's moving to HBO. And they've also, as you've commented on, you know, double, triple, quadruple casted characters. Now we're getting another Joker movie, which I noticed you didn't bring up. Um, <laughs> I think I can guess your feelings on that, and it's probably the same as mine, so we don't have to waste our time on it. No. Um, but uh, I think what I'm saying, man, is DC... Jeff Johns a couple of years ago very openly said, look, we tried to do the MCU model. It's not working. So we're going to do little pockets on different formats for different people and, you know, in different uh, um, uh, places, big screen, small screen and otherwise. And if we have to have two, three, four versions of the Flash or a cyborg or whatever, then we will. I think that's a huge strength, but it also could be a problem with, again, you know, MCU making all the money with all their continuity Now, I prefer this model, uh, you know, again, being a guy who likes 
next retelling of stories, whether the Amazon is going a completely different direction with Lord of the Rings. They're going like a thousands of years before mm. the movies take place. Uh, the Witcher, like I said, I hope The Witcher is in a totally different time than we've had before. Like, I want that stuff. Like I mentioned with Star Wars, the movies are going to be totally ancient or in the far future and who knows what's going to be going on. Are you worried at all, though, that that there, there could be a problem? Like, the one I always use as an example is Supergirl, which is if they cast not Melissa Benoist as a film Supergirl, I will not. I will protest that movie. I will not see that movie. I don't care who they cast. She's the best casting they've done on the CW, which I also noticed you have not mentioned the CW. And I don't watch Supergirl a lot these days, yeah. but I love her and I love the cast. And so with the Joker, sure, cast the Joker and over again. I'm done with the Joker. Heath Ledger's the Joker. If you want to have other ones, that's fine. He's my Joker. Batman, I'm cool with multiple Batmans, but I'm more excited about Batgirl and other people in the Bat universe. But what is your feeling about the multiple castings and sort of different pockets of the universe? Not in terms of continuity, because no one cares about that, but just in terms of yeah. reaching a broad audience. Is it confusing to people who want to jump in? I mean, my dad, as the final example, I'll throw it to you for final thoughts, it loves Pennyworth, not because he just saw The Dark Knight and Michael Caine was great, but because he watches epics for other things and stumbled across it and was like, mm. I love this show. Um, and he's mm. not normally into comics in general, let alone DC Comics. Um, uh, it just happened that we saw The Dark Knight recently together. So is this, I think this is my opinion, is this is a long-term benefit, but they need to be careful about which characters they double, triple, quadruple, and which worlds, you know what I mean? Could, could this get confusing for people? And I'll let you have a final, final thought. I don't think it does get confusing, to okay. be totally honest. Um, to non-fans, though. People, I'm saying to non-DC to non-fans. fans. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, because each show will still explain the character's backstory and then you can kind of know what version we're talking about. So, for example, Pennyworth is set in Earth-X. So, if you don't know what Earth-X, you get a really quick rundown in the opening um, in the opening of that show as to what's going on. Listen to my podcast with Brittany and Alistair from a year and a half ago, guys. We did an amazing Earth-X podcast. <laughs> I think, right? Um, that was, that was, that was yeah, Earth-X. Yeah, it was. And look, CW-verse is its own thing. I think the people that watch those CW shows are a completely different demographic. So it doesn't matter if they go and see Stephen wow. Amell's Arrow or Melissa Benoist's Supergirl or Rose. anyone Rose. in that universe. They will still, they're of the age that will still go and see the movies and not really care. So what you're telling sorry, the versions on the CW shows are so romanticized and teen dramatized hmm. that no one else is doing that. <laughs> so they are very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've found it's really easy to separate all of it, um, particularly watching multiple characters. And there's some characters that I have no, I don't know much about Cyborg. I've never read the comics. All I know of Cyborg is crappy Ray Fisher's version, the incredible Jovian Wade Doom Patrol version, who actually makes me love the character and want to know more. And then the jock version of the character that's in Young Justice at the moment, who's like this, even though he still had this tragedy happen to him, is still this (laughs) um, jock douchebag 
so yeah, I don't think it's a difficult thing at all. Hmm. Well, I thank you for coming on. I just want to say to you, Alistair, um, two years ago or so when we started doing podcasts, me, you, and, and Brit and so forth, uh, at that point, we had Wonder Woman, which we were all pretty happy with, and you guys yeah. were, and me were watching CW, and we all kind of wanted a brand new, you know, the vision for DC in general. Um, so it's very interesting to hear your points, but I'm thrilled that someone like you, who is a major DC fan, has the streaming service and some of these other adult shows like Pennyworth on Epics and so forth. My, oh, my other Ripped concern, on. man, was just uh, uh, not having everything on the central streaming service. It seems like at some point they're going to, because th- that in some ways is confusing to casual watchers like my dad like what mm. Goth- like Gotham's on a different channel and Pennyworth's on a different channel and this is on the streaming service but I'm just glad those shows are out there um, and they sound like yeah. they're bizarre awesome cool and adult which is really all we can ask for yeah definitely alright um, well promote thyself and I hope it's not 11 months till our next well it can't be because we've Dark <laughs> Crystal and then we've got yeah. Witcher in the two months so worst yeah. case scenario end of the year post the Star Wars movie and we can talk Witcher and, and some of these other series yeah um, well you can catch me as usual on Novastream uh, NovastreamNetwork.com I also now have my own website at lethal.net um, where I'm putting a lot of my own stuff and thoughts and podcasts. Um, so you can catch me on there and I'm at lethal on all of your socials. Awesome. Awesome, buddy. Well, thank you so much for being on. This all was right. a huge treat. Thanks for having me on. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this special podcast with Alistair. Check out all his sites. It is also in the copy. Coming back at you soon with some more Star Wars content, of course, and other things. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out. <laughs>